Hi, and welcome to Levelized Podcast. I'm Morgan Kwan. And I'm Oma Wilkie, and we'll be your hosts. Now, Levelized isn't just another energy podcast. We're actually bringing you behind the scenes, behind the mountains of research that the Inverus Intelligence team publishes, giving you an opportunity to spend time with the passionate personalities involved in tackling the toughest questions in the energy space. Now, you might be wondering, who is Inveris? Well, we're an energy SaaS firm that's influencing some of the world's most important energy decisions. And we're doing this by connecting an industry through intelligence, research reports, data analytics, and smart network technologies. So we invite you to join us as we have fun, unscripted, and honest conversations tackling the most tough questions in this industry. Hey, Oma. Hey, Morgan. How's it going? Pretty good. Welcome to Levelized. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited to do this. We, we've been uh, really talking about this internally for a while, so I'm glad we get a chance to, to share this with everyone. Yeah, for sure. Maybe, I mean, no one really knows who we are. Uh, maybe they've seen our names on, on a couple of reports that we put out, but uh, maybe before we dive into things, let's just um, introduce ourselves. I, I feel like I should be introducing you, but I'm not prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know if I could take all the heat you might send my way. Yeah, maybe I, I think I'll just start with myself. Um, so growing up, I went to school to be an oil and gas engineer. That was kind of the thing to do. And, and I was super passionate about working in the space. But um, when I was actually in, in university, I joined the solar design team. And we had to build an off-grid sustainable house. And, and, and sort of through that process, I realized all the cool, complex problems that renewable energy could solve in our day-to-day -day lives. But I also, through my education, saw the importance of the problems that oil and gas was solving. And, and so I, I kind of walked away with this view that whatever the economy, or energy economy looks like in the future, um, multiple sources of energy have to collaborate together. And that's really what led me um, to be an analyst and also led me to be excited to be a part of this podcast because I'm really hoping to learn from some of the brightest minds in industry, in industry across the energy spectrum. Yeah, a, a very similar story to you. Um, I grew up in Calgary, so my exposure to oil and gas was pretty much right from an early age. Um, and to be honest, I, I was pretty uh, interested in the technical problems associated with industry, like drilling the wells, completing the wells. Um, so a bit of a nerd on, the, on that front. But I think what today, what gets me most excited about energy and, and oil and gas and the renewable renewables coming into the space and the energy transition is that just understanding how energy ultimately powers the quality of life um, and being able to have a role in in that uh, is pretty interesting. Um, so the other piece to it, I guess, too, is like how we ended up being host to a podcast is there's a lot of conversations, whether, well, I mean, when we used to be in the office, be in the kitchen, but a lot of inspiring conversations with our colleagues um, that happens that doesn't necessarily make it into the research. And um, so I think it, it'd be fun uh, for us to kind of daylight some of those conversations to, to a broader audience through this podcast. So I'm excited excited to be a podcast host now. Oh, yes. Yeah. And and what better way to kick the podcast off than with our first guest? Um, and 
I'll I'll introduce him. I'll, I'll try to be nice. I've actually known him for so long, and all we do is make fun of each other. So, for once, I'll try and say something um, positive about him. Um, I was actually don't hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, um, for for anyone who can't recognize that voice, that's Andrew Gillick. Um, he's kind of the guy in the energy industry that everyone likes, but isn't really sure why. Um, we were actually talking the other week and I was trying to look for some more ammunition to, you know, jab at him a little bit. And I was on his LinkedIn page and I didn't know this, even though I've known you for five years, but you were the president, president of the energy club at Wharton. That's right. Gotta look good on the resume, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Morgan said, she's a nerd. You're a nerd. I'm a nerd. It probably all makes sense. We get together and nerd out on this stuff. There you go. And I think, (laughs) yeah, but I know for sure um, you have, what, 12,000 followers on your morning energy note, and I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard of that. And so um, why don't we start the conversation off and just kind of talk about some of the interesting topics and specifically a topic today that I think um, a a lot of people want to dig deeper on. And that's really um, the, the increased intensity and focus on ESG and how that expresses itself in um, a lot of the energy industries as they're trying to work towards meeting a lot of those obligations. Sure. Sounds good. Was there a question in there? Yeah. (laughs) That felt like, yes, I'd love to talk about that. Where where would you like me to start? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's it's better to kind of leave Gillick open. He'll answer questions that aren't even asked. But yeah, why 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 don't we tee you off here? So... Um, maybe we take a little bit step back and think historically about wh- what ESG has meant. Um, and it's obviously evolved through time. But in, in, in your mind, observing the industry five, ten years ago, how much um, did ESG matter then? And, and how has that changed till today? So, you know, ten years ago, ESG in in the United States, you know, was an acronym that people didn't, I don't think, many people really understood. Uh, certainly it was something in Europe that was well understood and, and they were moving in a, in a direction to decarbonize, but not not here. Um, I actually thought uh, when I was, when I was, you know, back when I was president of the Energy Club uh, in, grad, in grad school, that, uh, which, which was 2006, 2007, that it, as I approached a career in energy, it would be the new energy economy because crude was on its way to 140, gas was getting 16 bucks, and um, it was just pre-shale, right? Peak oil was here, so we needed other solutions. Uh, that changed pretty quickly uh, with the advent of the shale revolution. And you know, over the next decade, really up until a couple of years ago, um, ESG was mostly an excuse by investors not to invest in a in an industry that just hadn't shown good returns over a long period of time. Um, and so I would say not until end of 19, early 20, did that, did that sentiment really start to shift to it being from being an excuse to a, a mandate and being internalized by, by investors. And maybe for those that aren't as familiar with, with you, maybe, give a, a sense of like who you're talking to on a day-to-day like like you do you you're in a pretty lucky or yeah. pivotal spot where you can kind of take a peek behind the curtains and see like what questions investors are actually asking them 
Yeah. Um, no, I have, I have a great seat. Uh, I, I tell myself that every day. Uh, I, I get to talk to all the institutional investors that we work with, long onlys, hedge funds, credit funds, all the large energy sponsors, and then the operators themselves. And, and so, you know, always lots of different points of views, <laughs> conflicting sometimes, uh, often. Um, but yeah, it's pretty yeah. good. Pretty good. View. So, you, so you mentioned that, you know, it wasn't really until 2019 or maybe 2020 that you saw ESG um, starting to have a real influence in some of these decisions. Do you have any tangible examples uh, like in day to day? Well, so my my like aha moment was it was like January of 2020, right before COVID hit. And, you know, I I started getting a feeling that like the it was becoming more important in investors minds and so i went to you know a clean tech conference and i had gone to clean tech conferences 15 years before and when i got there i was looking around i was like wow this is like a lot of the same people nothing's really changed right and and then i was like oh wait there's you know one of the large multi-strat funds and oh wait there's another one and oh wait they're the guys from warburg i was like oh wait the guys from warburg hold on um, what are you doing here gillick um but but it, it was the it was the change in the type of investor that was now paying attention it wasn't sort of environmentalist investor or a fringy investor it was you know top new york firms top global firms uh focused on you know what what they needed to do to kind of hit some of these mandates that were coming out right yeah i I guess why i asked that question is because there still seems to be a camp of people that believe that all of this esg hype and corporate uh corporate decks and mandates by investment firms is is somewhat of a lip service um to the the energy transition movement and like trying to paint some color on no this is actually having an impact on on the industry and um like there is a a change happening well i mean i i think i think the the millennial mindset is really impacting the way investors think about how they deploy capital into into not just the energy space, but you know, to investments in general, um, the, the energy space, the oil and gas space in particular, had been pretty big offender on not just environment, but you know, social and governance as well. And so, as as some of these investors, you know, took a closer look at this, you know, you saw them pulling capital back over the last you know three five years, um, and it it feels like the the management teams are finally getting the memo uh, and the boards are finally getting the memo changing incentives um, and and changing the way they operate i love that you said the millennial mindset uh, morgan and i are just sitting here as millennials <laughs> you, you millennials um, your mindset it's very special us millennials don't like being labeled um uh, as millennial <laughs> i'm confused yeah aren't we all <laughs> um, but but I mean, on that note, that's it's it's a good segue into the, another question I was um, wanting to ask you is if if we say that it comes from the millennial mindset, and obviously it's more recent, as you said, 2019, 2020 is when it's really picked up steam, at least at least explicitly in the energy space. Um, what inning do you think we are in terms of its influence on how the markets run and how corporations make decisions? And maybe a second part to that being, in terms of how far we are in, in I guess this this mandate, 
are we emphasizing the E, the S, the G, and how do you expect those to evolve as we progress through the innings? So I can't really speak to other sectors uh, as well, but for, for oil and gas, I, I still think it's, it's early innings, right? Um, and I would say, depending on the investor, they're focused on different things. It's easiest to be focused on the E, on the environment, um, because that's like in your face, right? That's in your face with methane venting and, you know, CO2 emissions and oil spills and, you know, just things you can even see on TV or, or in the news. Um, but but the S and the G are, are kind of big focuses of certain activists, right? And and reforming those parts of, of the business should, you know, incentivize the management teams to be better actors going forward. Okay, so lot, lots of room to run it sounds like and for um, like lots of room for improvement. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and you you started in this earnings season to see um to see some operators make announcements. Uh you've seen it come through in a couple of proxies about in incentives. So, uh change change is happening right now and it'll be interesting to see if we have to wait until the next quarter to see more or if it'll just sort of roll through uh in the coming months. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because now that oil is flirting with 65 bucks, if that continues to to strengthen, do you think that'll put ESG initiatives on the back burner that now that oil is back and people will get excited and um yeah, I like to <laughs> think it'll change. The, yeah. The so incentive. I think I think there are some operators that hope it will um because they're running profitable businesses and while it's a profitable business so don't worry about how i do it um i, I don't think that's the case uh mm -hmm. and 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 while today when you look at public uh oil and gas equities um there's no real differentiation between operators that score well or score poorly at least in in the way that we use our, our esg framework um, there's no difference in in their kind of trading multiple. I think in 12 months from now, there absolutely will be. And mm -hmm. as I listen to investors and I listen um, to, you know, the way that they're trying to wrap their head around the importance of this, it, it's it, it the the we're getting critical mass. The momentum is is mm -hmm. built for sure. Yeah. So so if I'm listening to this correctly, the essentially that. For those that are involved in the upstream oil and gas industry, whether you're an EMP or maybe on the service side, you're saying ESG matters based on the conversations we're having with investors today. This is influencing capital or how capital is being directed to the upstream industry. But, Absolutely. Yeah. And and I and and people ask, they say, do you really think that you'll attract that long-term, long-only equity back to the market? And my answer is Absolutely, because we're seeing operators change the way they run their business. They're free cash flow positive. They're becoming more environmentally responsible. They're improving uh, the diversity on their boards, and and they're improving their their internal governance. And so they they just become better run companies as a whole. And depending on you know where you think we are in the cycle, very attractive um, 
very attractive multiples compared to some of the you know the other sectors. Right on. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I I feel like a lot of people, or maybe the the initial reaction to the energy transition is is down with oil. Oil is out. The writing's on the wall. But no. I th think there's still like, and and we talk about this all the time that the reliance, the global reliance on oil is going to be here for quite some time. There's a transition period, of course, but um, we'll need, still need to produce oil for a number of years. And Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the tricky part is, or the hard part for a lot of people is oil and hydrocarbons are no longer the dominant fuel, like they have been for 100 years, right? Whether it's oil or, or coal or gas or... And and so that's a threat to the industry, which means it's a threat to a lot of people's jobs, which means they don't like that, right? And 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 you know, for some people they're going to pivot, and for other people it's harder to pivot. And so th that's I think where a lot of the consternation comes from, right? But but to your point, like oil's not going away, right? We we need yeah. it. There's no way that 10 years from now we can replace a hundred million barrels a day of demand. It just it, it's not. It's not feasible. Or maybe we can, and now we bring on our next guest. Wait, what? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't know who that is. What magician that you have in your, your up your sleeve? Um, but no, and and but but what I what I think and what I've written about a little bit is is the idea of the re reformed oil and gas company or the reformed upstream company, right? That is actually best positioned to meet the challenges of climate change, right? Uh, they know where the emissions are coming from. They're able to provide an energy dense fuel and and they're able to, you know, without that much capex, r reduce that environmental impact. Right. And one other thing that I, I think is important to talk about, and we're talking about it right now, is the idea of talking about ESG, talking about, um, you know, the, the challenges of global warming and and why why it's important, right? Like this this country is so divided politically um, that you know it, it's forcing people not to believe science, right? Obviously, I have my POV here, which isn't really a secret. Um, and and so you know I, I've 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 been talking about it more, and I've been talking about it with people who think it's um, less impactful and talking about it with people who think, you know, the world's going to end in 10 years. So, you know, there, there's certainly a balance in there somewhere, but you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, we, the, this industry is poised um, to improve the, the way that, you know, people live and, and poised to improve the way, you know, the, um, the environment is treated in, in a way that, I mean, could actually be profitable for them should should a, a real carbon market develop and and they're able to you know generate generate those credits through different projects they work on that that's uh i think it really touches on the nerve right and there's there's a lot of interesting things that that we've kind of discussed over the last few minutes and i just wanted to dig into a couple of those a bit deeper um i think the first one we talk about um sort of the devil's advocate view of, well, is this, is ESG really happening? Because we always say it's 12 months away or whatever, whatever. And then you had mentioned, well, um, energy companies have the opportunity to pivot. And so if you think about the inertia of the institutional capital, getting smart on this, pulling data sets together on um, emissions, uh, at least specifically, 
Um, I think we can get to a point where we believe that the, the shift is happening. The other leg I think that's been interesting is um, a lot of businesses making very, very stark decisions <clears throat> to sort of revamp how they produce energy. And, and in the simplest sense, we can talk about the Euro majors uh, making these aggressive pushes to transition. But even um, right here in, in North America, where we're seeing like you had mentioned, um, handling emissions and carbon, a lot more disclosure on becoming carbon neutral by a lot of these operators. Um, and so I kind of wanted to, I guess, um, ask you, um, in in this move to being a new energy company, and I guess, um, or, or I guess the energy company of the future maybe is a different way to phrase it. First, in your mind, uh, Gillick, define what that energy company of the future looks like. And then two, as companies consider how to pivot, what are the advantages of being first mover in these types of initiatives, like let's say in the carbon credit market? Ooh, those are some good ones. Um, I feel like that last question was like a revenge question from a question I asked you on carbon markets, like in front of a client. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll always have some revenge questions for you. Like, um, so what does that new company look like? Look, I, I'm I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of of the BP approach. You know, time time will tell if if they're if they're right. But but I think that like the the reformed oil and gas company or the new the, the reformed oil and gas company and the new energy company I think are two different things, right? The reformed oil and gas company still produces oil and gas because there's still a market for oil and gas and there's going to be for a long time. It just does it in a more um, yeah for lack of a better phrase, ESG responsible way, right? Which attracts capital and, and allows them to continue to produce in, in that way. Um, and so, you know, do, do I think that those, the, 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 the reform DNP company is reducing carbon, uh, reducing carbon? Yes. Do I think that they're going to potentially invest in projects that offset their production? Probably. Do I think they should be running those projects? No, and I don't. I don't think they do either. Certainly not the North American ones. Um, but that doesn't mean they they can't invest alongside an operator that knows how to do it and and kind of create this portfolio of you know net zero or negative um, of credits. For for those that are thinking about the carbon market, it's it's tricky. Um, we tried a decade ago to have kind of regional regional markets, and I think only California still exists. I know Canada has one, but it's it's more of like regulatory mandate, as I understand it, versus like a a, me a trading mechanism that incentivizes people rather than taxes them. Um, I think I think Americans would much rather see that kind of market versus a, a tax. Americans don't really like being told what to do, but they, they do like playing games where they can win lots of money. So um, we'll see, we'll, we'll see how that uh, plays out. But um, I, I just think being conscious of, you know, how we're trending towards, you know, a lower decarbonization, um, you can start kind of positioning yourself to, to take advantage of that. Yeah. It I mean, I, I think it's all a, a good news story. I mean, change is always difficult and there'll be some opposition to it, but I think the movement towards a more ESG-friendly upstream oil and gas industry is um, has lots of opportunities. Maybe that that's your apple 
I, I mean, we like to conclude these things with a, a question we ask all of the guests, uh, apple, onion, lollipop. So apple kind of being the sweet spot of uh, the, whether it's in the industry or in the conversation today, onion being the, I want to say sour, but onions aren't sour, just the yucky part. And then lollipop, um, just what's interesting. Um, so, so it's funny, we, we do something like this and, uh, at, at dinner with the girls, uh, we call it high, low glitter, right? What's the best thing about your day, the worst thing about your day. And the, the thing that was a surprise, the surprise, which I guess is your lollipop is usually a, a good thing, but we're not usually giving them lollipops. Um, just to be clear. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I think. I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity in the energy space going forward. And I think those that have worked and and invested in the old energy economy are, are well positioned to take advantage of it because they know where we've been. And I think they have a sense of, of where we're going. Um, you know, the the low is, you know, certainly the challenges that we face and the challenges that the, the people in the industry face as as we do change right that it, it has a real impact to people and, and their jobs and um and and so that's that's definitely something that is going to be hard and, and we need to be considerate of um and the, the lollipop for me today especially um was uh waking up to see my children making breakfast um and i didn't have to do it which was pretty spectacular although my older daughter decided she wanted to make whipped cream out of the heavy cream in the fridge that was like expired by two months. So it didn't really turn out exactly oh, the way she had hoped. There's uh, a question on why you have two month old heavy cream in here. You know, it just the, the time's been flying by these COVID days and, you know, just gets lost in the shuffle. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, th this is, this has been a, really really interesting conversation i think we've gone a bunch of different ways and obviously for the sake of brevity we can't um, talk about these things um, ad nauseum but um, I'm, I'm sure we will have to have you back on here andrew as these things evolve and well, get updated perspectives yeah well, for sure there'll be a lot more revenge questions so you got to be ready for those i'll i'll have my own i'll come back at you <laughs> but it sounds like if if you didn't believe in the esg movement before today, you should now definitely because it's impacting uh, capital decisions in the very near term to long term. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. No, absolutely. And and a little bit of a shameless plug here. Um, obviously, we 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 talk about a lot of things, but um, we we take a lot of this analysis much deeper, um, partially as as a broader analyst team within Veris. Um, but certainly we have these conversations with with our clients, too, and preparing them for what the energy um, industry is going to look like in the future so that they're best positioned to succeed and thrive. And so um, if if um, you'd like to get more information or dig in deeper with these topics and see the work that we've written and put together, um, um, definitely we'll, we'll, we have links in the show notes to, to for you guys to take a look. Um, yeah. Thanks, Andrew. That was fun. My pleasure. Podcasting is uh, it's a it's a skill. So 
thanks for bearing with us. <laughs> oh, it's, it's good. You guys are great. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, your next guest who apparently disagrees with me. So No, I'm not saying disagrees. <laughs> we'll bring someone on to debate, Good. which seems to be an, uh, also a very topical debate. Um, when will we hit peak oil demand? But right. that's that. we'll leave that for another session. Inveris Intelligence Research Incorporated provides leading energy industry research and is a subsidiary of Inveris, the largest SaaS company in the world solely dedicated to the energy market. Therefore, any company mentioned in this podcast may be a subscriber or client of Inveris Intelligence Research, Inveris, or their affiliates. However, any views expressed in this podcast accurately reflect the speaker's personal views about any subject securities referenced. The information contained in this recording is provided for information purposes only and is not to be used or considered as investment advice or recommendation or offer to buy, hold, or sell any securities or other financial instruments. Please visit www.enveris.com disclosures for additional information.